listeners. I'm Brenda Lone Baker, leadership coach and speaker. Welcome to Fearless Females, Redefining Success in Women's Leadership. I'm passionate about helping women be more than they ever dreamed they could. This podcast records conversations with highly successful women in all kinds of careers. They share their learning and their experiences to help you create a roadmap to your leadership success. Great. So here we are. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much um, for joining me today. And I wanted to start off just by having you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So I work as a program director currently for the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. I work for a program which is a research education program that aims to boost global capacity for neuropsychiatric genetics research. Historically, within the field of neuropsychiatric genetics, 95% or more of the data is all in Northern European populations. So there is a movement actually started by the Stanley Center for Psychiatric Research, which is our main uh, sponsor and donor agency and partner agency to expand data collection to other countries. And alongside that, there is a research education program, which I work for that is also training individuals in those countries to be able to actually conduct the research themselves and push the envelope forward. So I work for the Harvard Chan School as well as the Stanley Center and we collaborate with six different institutions in East and South Africa. That's amazing. So you do go travel or before the pandemic, you did go and travel there and work in those countries. Yes, pre-pandemic we traveled quite a bit. Um, you know, in-person FaceTime is, is really important. Quite a bit of our work is actually online and was pre-pandemic as well to enable all individuals to be able to participate in the program and not have it be a difference, for example, um, if there is a mother with young children at home who couldn't join. So by nature, it's virtual, but there's quite a bit of in-person programming we do as well. And my background is actually more in international development and development economics. I actually worked for a research and policy nonprofit prior to working for the Harvard Chan School. And I spent about two years living in Kenya, working with that organization and previously had spent time in Tanzania and Vietnam as well. So I really enjoy international work. I learn a lot through that. So it's been, it's been great. So what, what kind of level, I know you said um, program director, but so do you lead other people? Tell us a little bit about the kind of leadership things that you do. Great. Yeah, sure. So at the Harvard Chan School, I'm a director level. I have the team I work on is actually quite small. There's four of us that work directly together, but indirectly we have our first iteration of the program had 17 different fellows that participated in that. And then we have a number of collaborators. So I'm sort of the conduit, the person connecting all of our partners, everyone in the field to our group. So I'm sort of the main kind of person people reach out to, main communicator, kind of face of the program. And that's both internally at Harvard, at the Stanley Center, and then of course, externally to those who are participating in our, pro in our program as well as our stakeholders. So does that ever get challenging um, where you're kind of managing people in very different companies, for lack of a better word, or 
are they all similar in the way that they work? No, it can be very challenging. And I think matrix environments, and that's one that I work in, can also be quite challenging because you may be overseeing the work or participation of someone who doesn't directly report to you. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, influencing without that kind of authority can be, can have its own, can have its own challenges. And that's where I do think to be successful in those environments, that kind of relationship management, clear expectations, relationship management, and when working across different cultures too, I think having a real low self-orientation is very important because you're just not ever going to know the full, you know, situation or culture. And so it can, it can be challenging, but it's also really rewarding in a lot of ways, these environments, because we're able to work with so many different types of people and meet so many different types of people. And so that's something I also enjoy. So that's, that's an interesting thought you just brought up and I just want to touch on it a little more. So when you said having a low self-orientation, can you give me an example of how that might play out? Yeah, sure. So maybe the best example I can give is comparing thinking a little bit about where I work now. So I work at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health and Harvard, the brand of Harvard is known globally, right? Mm -hmm. And part of the programming, uh, part of our programming is we will travel to different institutions and we will run workshops at those institutions. And there are different needs for each different institution. And it's important to our collaborators and ourselves to be able to offer things that are going to be effective. Um, Granted with the Harvard name, that's a major power dynamic, right? And also coming with the funding is also power dynamic. And this isn't isn't just from, you know, coming from the US to a different country. It can be in the United States as, as well. It can be in Boston. When you're coming from a brand that carries that and you're bringing funding with it, people are just going to be, I think, even less likely maybe to tell you more truths, so to speak, in some way. And you really do have to be able to understand the dynamic you're bringing, understand where you're coming from, and be able to kind of hear what isn't being said, uh, rather than coming with this kind of expectation and attitude that you're not, when you're not aware of the power that you're bringing or the power dynamics that exist, it can be detrimental to your own work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the more that you you are in an environment where the power dynamics aren't even coming in with this sort of lower self-orientation where you are aware of what you also don't know and um, the questions you need to ask is mutually beneficial for both parties in the relationship. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's kind of nuanced. <laughs> It totally makes sense. And it's part of, you know, what I'll teach in leadership is that box of, you know what you know, you know what you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, you know, like there's those four areas of knowledge. And there are these things that, you know, you know, you don't know, or that you you don't know. And being open to that is really important because there are things out there that we don't know, we don't understand. And it's better to be open um, you're less likely to step on your own toes. Absolutely. And I do think that, um, 
especially if you're in the position of being a funder. Um, and I'm, I'm not that, you know, necessarily right now, but speaking with colleagues and others that I've had, people always want to say, you want to say all the good things you want to show all the benefits, but it's just important to know where things are struggling and how things need to change. And I think that that power dynamic in particular is one that as funders, it's important to be able to establish those relationships where you really can have things be open and communicative about what's going well and what isn't because it's going to help even the donors learn how to work with organizations and how they can better support them. So have you seen or experienced any bias differences along your, your way, your career path? I'm curious, what, what do you mean by bias differences? So Normally when I'm interviewing, I'm talking or I'm working with people that are women that work in male dominated fields mm. so for myself, um, coming up in a financial role, there were a lot of bias differences. Uh, even, you know, I worked for, um, a fishing kind of company and all the guys would go out on the boat or you know in finance all the guys would go golfing and as a woman i wouldn't be invited mm. and so mm -hmm. that's a that's a very simple example i think there's a lot of different ways that it plays out and so i'm just curious to know um what if anything you've noticed along the way um that might help other women see that sure it's, it's across the board or. Oh, it definitely. It. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. It definitely, definitely is. And I, prior to my current job, I development economics is very male dominated. And I remember a, a boss I had once in that field saying to me specifically, this is a very good field for you to be in because it is so male dominated. I never had necessarily any experiences in that where I felt because I was a woman, I was necessarily being treated differently. That might've been my own experience within that organization. I will say more recently to a broader extent within academia and within science and academia, I felt that much more. And I've heard many more women speaking about it. Funny enough, I work with many more women now, but many more women speaking about it. And this is maybe also just a sign of the times, right? We're a lot more open to speaking about it where um, women, I mean, this is very known. Women have to advocate for themselves more. Women are much less likely to advocate for themselves. I have felt I've had to advocate for myself much more um, within an academic environment than, than otherwise. Um, other biases though, I think things that I've learned a lot more and seen a lot more is a lot of race related biases, um, and a lot of challenges for people that are not white in white dominated spaces. And I've seen a lot of that. Yeah. And that's something that I am working on and determining how best I can influence within those while also understanding, I can never understand that, but I've come across a lot of that um, more recently, a lot of those biases. And I think that that's something that a lot of people are, have come across more is that is also um, had a, you know, is much more at the forefront 
it's right. been to a lot of people, they've been ignorant about it for some time, but that's something that I've seen right. uh, quite a bit more as I've continued in the workforce. What do you think are the most important traits of an effective leader? That's, you know, that's a really hard one to pin down. There are so many, I think for myself, transparency is really important to an extent, right? Um, Buy-in is really important for motivation and for people feeling connected to the work. And I think that buy-in is often only earned from an transparency, right? So transparency, accountability, you know, we talk about how meeting deadlines, you know, people will go to interviews, especially more entry-level, mid-level, how do you meet deadlines? It is just as important for leaders to meet their own deadlines and be accountable to giving feedback. When someone said something, you've got to give that feedback. You've got to be responsible. You know, so I think, you know, and that's, that's talking about leadership in the hierarchical sense of once you reach a certain level, I actually think leadership is at all levels, but I think accountability is really important. I also think empathy is very important. Um, and I think that that's something that's probably spoken about a bit less, but to me, empathy is a really important trait of being an effective leader. So how do you think it plays into being an effective leader, empathy? Well, for example, it can be from anything as, let's say you are, let's say you have a direct report and something's going on and maybe they've been missing deadlines or the work has been different recently in the culture that we work in, which is so fast paced and high achieving, it can be easy to immediately just get frustrated versus trying to sit back and say, okay, what are all of the reasons? Um, and having, being able to actually first talk, is there something else that's going on outside of work? That could definitely be a case. I think empathy, you know, leads you to that. I think depending on the type of leadership position you're in, I think empathy is very important when you're leading different groups of people, different types of people, because being able to understand that you may not know where someone is coming from, you may not know about their experience, but it's valid or being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand that mm -hmm. really is a positive aspect of, of leadership. And I think that it can enable you when you can honestly question what you don't know, where someone else is coming from, how may they, may they be feeling. It helps you as a leader too, because people trust you more. They understand that you do have their back. And it can also have you ask questions you maybe wouldn't ask and you don't know what is going to come back from that, you know? So I think it's always important to understand that. And I think empathy can help with that. I, I love that. I, I also think the questions part is a great way to get at the empathy, because if you're thinking of it as putting your coach hat on and asking questions to get deeper information, mm -hmm. whether you're looking up the management ladder or down the management ladder. It's so helpful to have that information and it's not as touchy-feely when you're just getting data, you're getting information right. and you're putting your coach hat on. Um, so it is empathy, but it's a nice way to like kind of skirt around and get at empathy that isn't necessarily um, thought of as so touchy-feely, although empathy really is such a great tool. Um, right. I love that you brought that up. Uh, 
how have you been assertive in your career that really helped you? I think the, you know, assertiveness is something that I've worked on quite a bit and assertiveness comes out in a lot of different ways on a daily basis. And then there's larger, larger things that we're sort of about. One thing that I did that in terms of propelling my career, I did advocate for myself. I have advocated myself in the past for promotions and a recent, the most recent promotion I gained, I gained via advocating for myself. Um, and so that's something where being able to be assertive and being able to know, you know, the work I had done, how my job had changed and where I was going and being confident in that and assertive about that case really did propel my career forward as it did garner me a promotion. I love, I love what you're saying there. And I think it's really important to go a little deeper on it is, is those pieces of, um, I, the only word that's coming into my head is ammunition, but the things that you had. So can mm. you tell me a little bit more about if you had those things to bring forward, how did you get them? Sure. That's a great question. I, it all, you know, I think that one thing that's important whenever anyone is thinking about a promotion is of course, to understand the field you're playing in, right? Understand the structure of the organization, where you fit into that, but also your own background and what you're bringing to the table. Because oftentimes, especially in larger organizations, like my position, I was hired for specific reasons because I did have certain traits that were harder to, to find, right? You know, I spent a lot of time, we mentioned this before, in East Africa. This job required being able to work within those cultures and having experience about that is a lot harder, you know, to find. And that's not something that necessarily fit into the box mm -hmm. of the HR system at Harvard. And so I think knowing, knowing first off your own structure and where, how the system works, where you fall into that, and then also knowing those unique things you bring are important. But specifically for me, it all started with, um, you know, as it's become much more open about the pay differences between men and women. Mayor Marty Walsh had run an initiative where he wanted to train at least 50% of the women in Boston on negotiating pay raises. And I had been in my position for about a year and a half at that time. And I learned after, after I was in it and I did understand the playing field, I recognized how actually I might not be at the right level. I might've been hired at a lower level um, than was appropriate given my background, my experience, and what I then knew about the system. But I had never advocated for myself before for a promotion. So I attended this workshop and the key things from this workshop were the data that we were told to gather is benchmarking your own salary, being able to get that information to benchmark where your salary is at and compared to other similar positions, being able to clearly demonstrate changes in your position from when you started to where you are now and very have it just be very objective. Um, and then I met from that workshop, I also met people and I followed up with one individual from that workshop and kind of 
went over my case and where I thought I was. And that person very much validated that not only the traits that I had, but also the way the structure was that I actually wasn't, she agreed that she didn't necessarily think I was pegged um, at the right place. And so I did my own benchmarking. I did my own research on the structure. I went to a workshop and really learned sort of how to do that and how to vocalize that. And then with that timing, I think with these things is always key. Timing is important. Um, and the timing for mine was right. You don't necessarily want to push too early. Um, but one thing I will say is that in terms of biases, one thing I have seen is that for men generally, timing is never an issue. They'll just ask straight up. Women tend to have to be, and I still think it's a case, I do still think women, until things really change, need to, you know, a little bit more, make sure the timing's right, show a little more, and that's unfortunate, you know, but no one is ever gonna advocate for yourself but yourself, which is also something I've learned. And so I think just making sure that your case is clear, both to the structure that you're in, and then also to the actual environment. And by environment, I mean the people you're working with on the day-to-day -day basis and how you show your own unique value. So I did a fair amount of research and practice. I hope that it, I hope that's specific I, enough to answer your question. Totally, it, it answered my question, definitely. I, and I think it's really important. And you gave some great points on things that people can do. Um, you have a lot of confidence. I mean, it comes across even in, you know, your answers. How, how has your confidence increased your success in leadership? I think that I have come to be a lot more comfortable with knowing that I won't always be confident. And that for me, it's really important to be in an environment where risk-taking and, and innovation and trying different things is promoted. And that there is learning to be gained from both reaching the deliverables that we want to reach. And there's some things, you know, you just, you do, you, you need to reach. This is more of a kind of like esoteric growth kind of uh, way that I'm speaking about it. But it's really important to me to be working in an environment where you can also make mistakes and you don't need to shy away from those because there's a lot of growth that comes from that. And in regards to confidence, I've learned over the years that there are some things that we, the more we are in our workforce, the more workforce we learn about. Over our career, we learn about our strengths. You start to understand what you bring to the table. And there's nothing wrong with speaking to those strengths and knowing what it is that you offer and what you give and enjoying and what you enjoy. There's also, no one is ever going to be confident 100% of the time. And a lot of leadership involves trial and error and being able to confidently lead into areas where there's lots of questions. I feel like the further I go up in the ladder, the more questions there are, right? So I think my confidence more so has been boosted with allowing myself to be comfortable with knowing that I don't have all the answers and there are gonna be times where I might not know exactly what the right step forward is, but by speaking with others, 
taking my experience and moving forward, you can always learn from it. So it's interesting. I do think that the more comfortable I am with that, the more confident I've, I've become. I love that. That's very different than what a lot of people have said. And confidence is such this vague thing uh, on how do we get it? You know, there's, there's all different thoughts on that. Um, so that's interesting. Have you, have you ever had your values challenged on your path and, and what did you do about it? That's a great question. I, yes, I have. I may not have any specific example, but I have learned that, you know, these days many organizations will list their values on their website, it's in interviews. That may or may not be the actual case when you get into a job at times. Um, and I do think that there's a difference with knowing your values and recognizing, you know, sometimes there are certain things you may just not agree with. Nothing's ever perfect. No one is ever fully, integrity isn't a hundred percent all of the time. Um, that is a value in and of itself. But there are times when you might need to put things aside. Um, you may realize, you know what, this particular project I'm working on maybe is something I don't fully agree with. I don't necessarily agree with the mission of this. It can be something as, you know, you might think that it might not propel the organization as much forward as it should be, or maybe it's something that has some negative repercussions, you know, um, and you might not necessarily think that those negative repercussions are worth the benefits. And so that's kind of an aspect where sometimes you need to put your values aside. I do also think that there are sometimes environments within which they simply may not work for us and recognizing when you actually need to remove yourself and say, you know, these, my values are being challenged here so much. I need to, I need to leave. I think that for me, where they've been challenged, I've brought it up at times and sometimes it's gone well and sometimes it hasn't and there's been <laughs> learning for that. And uh, um, I think that that being direct about that has helped me figure out also when there are certain things you, you do put aside and you understand that that just happens versus environments in which maybe it's not the greatest match. Right, which is a, it's such a, a fine line and you really have to go with your gut that, you know, try the things like you're saying, choose where your values are placed, which value is coming first today. And then if it gets to that point where it's every day and it's all the time, it might be time to look elsewhere. Right. Um, but I love what you said about speaking up, talk about it. What's the worst that can happen? It could go well, could, you know. Maybe well, and that gives you information too, right? Because if you're starting to question values and whether your values, what you value or what the organization says they value is really being practiced, if you bring it up and you question it and people respond in such a way where, oh, I wouldn't have realized that or let's work on that, let's do this. It gives you that information. Whereas if it goes the other way and it goes the other way continuously, it's all information gathering, right? Then you start to say, you know what, actually, this necessarily isn't the place. And I think we've seen a lot of, of that um, in the past year. And so I do think that 
it can be really hard to bring it up at times, but by bringing it up and seeing how leadership responds or other colleagues respond gives you that information to help really decipher on, because it is a fine line. Mm-hmm. What, what environment am I in? Is this a place where people are willing to grow and reflect and change or is it, or is it not that? And what's important to right. you at the end of the day? That can give you a lot of information. What you need, yeah. Um, how do you feel about time management and work-life balance? You know, that's something that, again, I think we're all always constantly learning more about. I think the industry really depends on the industry quite a bit. Um, I think that there are always, it's always going to be a challenge, especially in the United States. We have a culture where we really value working all of the time or busyness. Um, I say industry because right now, for example, I work in academia and I love working in academia. Um, but it is very different than working in a, working as, you know, my best friends are nurses, for example, and they clock in and they clock out. There's work balance there too, but it's a little different. You know, I'm in a job where you can take your work home and you really have to be a lot more disciplined Mm -hmm. to be able to say, okay, I stop now. Um, and one thing that has, has, I think assisted me in recent years is that you know, the way that our culture is, you can really easily, objectively kind of quantify success based off of promotions or based off of what you've achieved in this at work. And I've come to learn and I really look at my life, try to look at it a lot more holistically and realize that though I might not be able to quantify as much the time I spend in my relationships or the time I spend, you know, working on things I enjoy that are not work-related. I might not be able to quantify how that affects my life and that might not return to me as quickly as a, and be able to demonstrate it as easily as a success at work. It really is something that that is important um, and that I do think gives back to you, which gives back to your career, quite frankly. Um, and so I have much more so tried to realize that and really work on and understand, you know, the more that I can do, the more that I do do and invest in myself outside of work, the happier that I actually also am at work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I try that. to, yeah. I think, I think it's also, like you said, it's even worse now because those people that are not, that, that had trouble shutting off before are now working from home. <laughs> so. Oh gosh going from the kitchen table to work to the kitchen table to have dinner, it's, it's even harder for them to draw those lines, but I believe even more important. Oh, it's incredibly important. And I think, you know, I think we all think we also have to have it be down to some sort of science of like, I'm doing X amount of time at work. I'm investing this much in myself and this, I'm doing this. I don't necessarily know that that is the way. I don't know if there is a particular, I think it's, things flow and there might be times where you're a little bit more mm-hmm. at work. There might be times where your family needs a little bit more. I think that shifts quite a bit and being able to do the best that you can at whatever given that time it is. And that's where it really, you know, depending if you have a family and all of that, it really comes into play with being able to also depend on others and communicate with others who might be in your household about, you know, this is what's going on here. I need to do this and have that have that flexibility. Um, so it's incredibly important, but I think it's also 
important that we be kind and gentle with ourselves too and be okay when it's like, you know what, especially during this year when we've been working from home, just couldn't do it this week. I just, and you just pick up and you try to do better next week and you realize that it isn't always going to be nine to five I'm on, this I'm off. It's just not necessarily how it works, particularly when our environment is one and of the same for both home and office. Right. No, I, I recommend very small little incremental things that can really build up because they're easy to implement, like um, taking a walk around the block at a certain time of day or, yep. um, you know, shutting off your emails to push after six o'clock at night so yep. that it's only when you go to your phone or your computer to look for them. So like little teeny things that can help you stay separated. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have, yeah. I have, you know, it's funny. I think that we've all become maybe, you know, when you don't have to go into the office and you don't necessarily need to, you don't have that commute or you don't have to wear necessarily work clothes. I actually do make a real habit. I try to still in the morning have a bit of a routine and I do mm-hmm. change clothes and do that's just something for me. That's important. And I do take more breaks now, small ones throughout the day than I maybe would have before, because throughout the day, you're always, you're getting up to grab water. You're doing this. I do try to actually schedule those walks and schedule, um, just little turning off my brain for maybe it's five minutes more in the day. And I found that to be really helpful getting outside, uh, in the morning. And then once in the afternoon has been really helpful for me. That's great. How do you define success in leadership? That's a great question. And I, you know, I don't know that I have a specific definition for it, but I would say that if I were to be part of a team, for example, or leading a team, success for me is when the people that I'm working with or the people that I'm in charge of leading are all engaged. They're engaged with their work. They understand how their own individual work is connected to the broader goal. There is a team environment within which we all know we have our own unique roles to play. But I think it's really successful when people also, teams can be nimble and people can step in for others. I think that for me, is really important. I think success is when, especially if someone can leave, someone can be gone and the ship is gonna keep sailing smoothly. Um, And I think success, you know, I think that people shy away from conflict sometimes, but conflict can be really positive. There's really positive conflict. And I think that navigating conflict and using conflict as a positive is also, I think organizations that can do that that to me also demonstrates success. So I think for me, success, I can see more demonstrations of that than actual kind of one clear cut definition. I love if that. that makes sense. What would you go back and tell your 16 year old self if you could? Oh man, you know, I think what I would say is kind of keep 
keep the thirst in a way. When I was 16, I had first discovered international development. I'd worked one day for this staffing agency and I'd happened to be sent to this organization that did international work. It was just a day and it just opened my whole world. And I had such a curiosity. I think maintaining our curiosity is really important. And also don't allow anyone else to define you, but you. I think that the, the more that we, we can become, the more, the longer I've worked and the more people I've worked with all this, there are times where I have been defined by other people. And I have learned that sometimes that comes from something they're dealing with. That's some of their, they've got their own stuff going on. And if you believe that, if you allow other people to define you, you're just going to hold yourself back. And it doesn't mean to say, you know, you shouldn't understand whether or not this is an environment for you or this is something you should do. But, you know, don't keep, stay, stay hungry, stay thirsty, be balanced about it, but then also don't let anyone else define you but you. I think that that is something I've had to learn and something that's really important and something that I would try to pass on to my younger self. That's awesome. Christy, thank you so much. I know you and I could talk forever about lots of these things um, so passionately, but I really appreciate you giving the, your time today. I know that um, women that are listening to you will gain something from it. And I appreciate you, you being open enough to share it. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed speaking with you and I look forward to you know, listening to all other episodes of this podcast as I'll gain a lot myself. So thanks again. Thanks, Christy. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for joining. Please spread the word and share what you've learned here with other women. If there's someone you think that needs to be interviewed for Fearless Females Redefining Success in Women's Leadership, please connect me with her. For more information, you can check out my website, www.innerovation.com. You can like Innerovation on Facebook, follow me, Brenda Lone Baker, on Instagram or Twitter, and try to stay in touch. I hope you all have a great day. <music>